The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are going to be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, wait, sorry. Here, let's do this. Mic on. This one off. I got a little comfortable there. Um, we are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning uh, because we read from Mark chapter 14 and 15 this last week, or this Good Friday, and looked at half of the story of Easter. The first half of the story of Easter is Jesus died in our place. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, where we fill out the rest of the picture. Uh, We're going to be reading this as we move along. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to look at this together. Father, as we look at your word, we ask that you would give us your spirit to love Jesus and to delight in him and to enjoy him and to experience his life, that we would live in his resurrection life this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I don't know how you guys uh, watch movies, but um, with your eyes, yeah. I watch mine with my eyes, but I also watch it with my uh, Wikipedia tab open because I can't handle stress too well. And so I will watch movies, and when it gets stressful, I'll just, like, look ahead and read about, okay, who's going to, you know, who gets killed or what happens or whatever. So I I kind of, like, deflate the amount of stress that I experience when watching movies. Um, And specifically, I don't know if any of you are, like, horror movie fans. Like, I can, like, barely handle scary movies in normal movies, let alone movies dedicated to being scary. But uh, one of the things that... Yeah, I know. It was like... So Stephen King, who's like the king of all horror movies, he has commented on this whole reality of uh, scary movies, that the reason we like horror movies, the reason we like scariness in stories is because uh, it, we're basically afraid of death. He commented that we, uh, the great appeal of horror fiction through the ages is that it serves as a rehearsal for our own deaths, and that we're scared of death, and that we don't like death, and so we play it out in all of our stories and walk through the tension of that because we're afraid of what's coming with death. Because that's the ultimate reality, right? I mean, that is, no matter at the end of the day, death has 100% uh, effectiveness. Yes. We're filling out the sermon here as we're walking along. <laughs> David, my wingman, filling this out for me. Death is this great horror that we all are afraid of, and we all, uh, it sits in the back of our minds. And that is what we're looking at this morning because a part of the gospel is not just simply that we have a great teacher and king and moral example, but it actually changes the fabric of reality. The fabric of reality is changed in the resurrection of Christ because it's not, when we talk about the resurrection, that means Jesus' physical dead body became alive again. And it's not just a magic trick and it's not just something that happened for him. It's something that changes the whole course of reality, so that kind of like this Wikipedia page dynamic I have for my my movie watching, we get a we get a glimpse, and we get uh, relief and life rather than just living with this tension of death reigning over us. That's what is going on here. So when Paul opens up chapter 15, he says, "Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were be- you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word." I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's going to go into this whole core dynamic of the gospel, that 
it's not merely words on a page. It's not merely moral teaching. It's actually, it changes the reality of our lives so that he talks about, right, in which you stand, which you're being saved, which you hold fast. Like, talks about, look, you need real mercy for weak and wrecked people. You need real grace for weak and wrecked people. And you need real hope for weary people. So that's what we're going to look through for 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be seeing how Jesus' resurrection life gives life in our wreckage, life in our weakness, and life in our future. Because the point of what we're looking at, see, is life live in his resurrection life, which sounds kind of high and mighty. What does that mean for us? How do we, how do we live in his resurrection life? His, what Jesus accomplished when he breathed in that moment of life in the grave, that has an effect on our lives today. So what we're going we're gonna to be looking at, picking up in verse 3, his resurrection life for our wreckage. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's another name for Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were st- are still alive, though some have, some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it is I or they, so we preach and so you believed. You see, when Paul goes to talking about what is this whole event of the gospel with Jesus dying for us and rising from the grave, and he actually goes out of his way to make sure that we get this is a historical, real story, right? He, they're talking about delivered, right? The first verse three, when he says delivered, that means it's an objective reality, right? Look, I got it. Um, I got this coupon for a Walmart, and I gave it to you. I got this story about Jesus, and I'm giving it to you. I didn't make it up. I didn't pretend to, make, to adjust it in any way. I'm just giving you what I got. This is uh, this, this is the the hard reality of, of the story of Jesus is that he's not just like some moral teacher. Uh, some friends of mine are are Buddhists, and as we talk about Buddhism. One of the dynamics of Buddha and Buddhism is that it really doesn't matter. This is actually kind of a startling reality. It doesn't matter if Buddha actually existed. There's a debate as to whether he was a historical figure and when he lived and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, for them, it kind of doesn't matter because the principles of what he talked about still endure and and guide us and, and give us direction. But when it comes to Jesus, it really matters if he really existed, and then not only did he really exist, but did he rise from the grave? And the Bible goes out of its way at multiple points to kind of like, if you imagine like a Google map, (laughs) to put Google map dots exactly in historic, like he was in this place at this time, and this was the governor there, right? He did this and went here, and this was the political situation that was going on there, right? He was actually put in so-and-so's, like, here's the address, grave, Right? And these are all things that you can verify or deny or dis- disprove historically. If the Bible was trying to get, give us a story of like, here's some good morals and uh, be a good person, 
it wouldn't go out of its way to make objective claims about reality. Like this actually happened, right? Because that's what he's, right? He says, right, Christ died, he rose, and then he appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the apostles, and then he appeared to 500. Guys, here's 500 witnesses who saw a dead man's body breathe in new life and walk out of the grave. Like they, they hung out with him, they touched him, they shook, shook his hand, they probably gave him a hug. These are all people that you could go and actually talk to, right? I mean, if you imagine, like, bro, did you see that Jacob got a new wig? I'm like, no, 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 I don't, I don't believe Jacob got a new wig. I'm like, no, look, I, if I stood up here with a wig, then I could say, look, there's like, what, 50 or 60 witnesses who, and they did, everybody could go tell and put it on Facebook and Instagram. Jacob got new hair. <laughs> Jesus rose from the grave. And the crazy thing about his story is that the Bible goes out of its way to be, be inconvenient for the time, right? We just read in John 20 about how, do you remember who it was who was the first person to see the resurrection of Jesus? It was Mary. Yeah. At the time, you realize, ladies, we are so incredibly grateful and value you. But at the time, a woman's testimony was lower than a slave. Like they were, they were like the lowest of the low. They were not valued at all. And so the Bible, right, in the middle of this context says, the first witness to see Jesus, a woman. Not, so not only does that elevate the value and stature of women, but it also goes to say, look, if the Bible was trying to be a made-up story, it would have had, you know, white-collared, white guys giving testimony in a situation that are, you know, the, the preferent people of the time. And it goes out to say, all people, high class, low class, everybody, they saw it. Sorry, Mike, get a little bit of... And here's the thing. So it's not all just those dynamics of, look, this is real. Did you, did you notice who, who Paul reminds us saw the resurrection of Jesus? Right, we just read about Peter on Good Friday. Remember that? Peter, who was the, the worst, best disciple. Remember that? He was the one who denied Jesus. He's the first one that's named, right? The, the one who denied Jesus. He's the first one that's named. And then who else does he call on? He calls himself. Look, I persecuted. I put to death Christians. And I saw the resurrected Christ, and now I'm a Christian. Right? Paul goes out of his way to say, this is not just a historical reality, but it's a historical reality that's aimed at people who are totally wrecked. People who are totally helpless. People who have nothing to offer to the story, right? The only, it, it, it's a bit of like Paul becomes a, you remember that moment um, in uh, The Force Awakens? Han Solo, it's true, it's all true, that moment. Paul is like that, where he, he was the one who kind of like Han Solo, if you remember, as total Star Wars nerd out moment, but if you remember this, in the Star Wars movies, Han Solo was the one who denied the force and all that stuff, he was like, it's not true at all. And then here he is, it's true, it's all true. Paul is like that. He was the one that you least likely to be the one changed by all this stuff. And he's the one saying, no, it's, it's all true. It's all true. This gives us hope. And this gives a life for people who are wrecked, maybe like you or me. People who are easily offended, think highly of ourselves, a little, di little bit disgruntled when we see political trash on Facebook, people who struggle to get their lives in order, people who are easily 
uh, sad or angry or offended. It's for people like us. <laughs> don't worry about it, don't worry about it. It's for people like us that are broken and wrecked. It's for the thing that's helpful about this whole story, just to put this all together, why this is resurrection life for wrecked people. Did you notice who's the one doing all the action to help people who are wrecked and broken? In this story? Did you pick up on this? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who's not only dying in our place and rising from the grave, but he's the one who appeared. He's the one who appeared to Cephas, right, in verse 5. Then he appeared, verse 6, to the 500, right? Then he appeared to James and all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely report, he appeared to me, right? He's the one who's doing the action here. That's why, this is why it's so critical about the gospel is that it's God's work to save broken and weak people. It's God's work totally to provide for us. It's God's work to totally give us his life. But we don't, we don't like bring up like a coupon and say, God, like I got my Jesus coupon, now give me a, like a 50% grace deal. No, it's 100% free. It's 100% life. It's 100% mercy on his terms and it's objective. Like it, we don't do anything. He gives it to us free of charge because he wants to give life to people who are wrecked and broken and needy, like us. Like, we all need grace and help. <coughs> and he is the one who gives it totally free on his terms, which means it's a solid reality, right? It's, it's, it's not just kind of like, oh, man, he, he had a really good book, and I really like what Jesus had to say in that book. Right? It's a claim about this very room, the air we breathe, Right? You realize that the air we breathe was breathed out by, it was breathed in and breathed out by Jesus who died, was dead for three days, stone cold dead. And he breathed in the air that we're breathing right now. That's the air that he breathed in and breathed out. Same air, same world. But now death is being rolled back slowly. Our weakness is not the defining part of, our, our, our wreckage is not the defining part of who we are. His life is what defines us and gives us a, a stable reality, right? We're not, left, we're not left with empty cat posters, you know, of hope. No, this is a stable, true, real reality, right? He gives us grace and life. His resurrection reverses the grinding judgment of our wreckage. So if that's true, and if we're the people that he has in view, we're going to pick up here in verse 35, we're going to kind of skip up. Chapter 15, by the way, is just so huge. We're kind of doing a skim over. We're going to pick up in verse 35 to see how not only his resurrection life meets our wreckage, but that how his resurrection life is for our weakness. So we're going to read verses 35 to 41 to start, and then we'll pause and give a few comments. But someone will ask, Who are the dead, uh, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come, right? You get it, you have to, there's a little bit of an attitude. In the, in the original Greek, you can kind of pick up on like a, like that kind of like attitude. You foolish person, that's why Paul is so strong with that. Uh, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but is a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. 
There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heaven is of one kind and the glory of the earth is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. This is, uh, here, it, Paul gets, a, he kind of gets a little long-winded and sometimes gets a little confusing at times with what he's saying. He's basically saying like, look, here, here, let's, let's talk about the resurrection like this and the, and the new bodies that we get in Jesus like this. Um, you know how an apple seed does not look like an apple tree? That's, just, that, that's the analogy that he's... And then he kind of goes off and say, look, and God doesn't like one kind of one of thing look great. He likes all different types of things. I think what Paul's doing here, he's kind of putting his finger on this reality that God is a happy, creative, imaginative God. And if he was like a straight-laced, let's have everything the same, he wouldn't have gone out of his way to show off. Right? Have you ever thought about that? Everything is, I mean, even, our, even all of us in this room are incredibly different from each other. And we're all people, right? And God goes out of his way to show off by creating all different types of things in the world. I didn't put this on the slides, but like our sun, like if you look at like the biggest suns in the universe, our sun is like one pixel on like this, compared to like these gigantic mega superstars. I mean, God goes out of his way to make a world that is just vivid and different and glorious, right? We, there's a song that my kids have that they sing about the God of wow. It's like, wow, like God just creates everything. It is so imaginative. That's what Paul's getting at. And he's saying, listen, uh, the resurrection starts here. It's kind of like a two-step dance. The resurrection, first part, the things that they, as they are right now are little seeds compared to what they will be. So let's pick up here verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, right? So here's making the connection. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body. There is also a spiritual body. This is, this, thus it was written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual first, but the natural, and then the spiritual the first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As it was, as was the man of dust, so are also those who are dust. And as the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as you were born in the image of the man of dust, so, shall all, so we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Again, right? Paul gets a little confusing at times, so let's break this down. The simple idea is that, look, remember this image? Seed into ground, it produces a tree. That's the same image of what he's saying. Your body, our bodies, the physical realities are intended and good by God, but we're cursed, we're under the, the weight of sin and a broken world. So that's the first Adam. But we, we go into the ground, and the second man, second Adam, that's Jesus, he rose out of the grave and gives life to everybody who trusts in him. And that type of life now means that what is sown into the, into the ground is raised with a different type of glory, a different type of wow than what it was originally had. Is that making sense? We're tracking? The, the, uh, the picture here, right, is that your body matters, but it's not what it will be, right? Our bodies, right, they aren't just something to be discarded. They aren't just something that's in the way. They're actually 
designed by God to be a good in a way we engage the pleasures and good things of the world. But the reality is that things are going to be are weak and are going to uh, fall apart, but that's not the final story. God's going to give us new bodies, a new glorious creation, right? The, the thing about this story is that um, I've always found, like, you remember that, you know, those, uh, the Hallmark kind of like little like puffy clouds and the angels and all that stuff, you know what I'm talking about? Like, that stuff always annoys me because it's like, that's not what heaven's like. It's not like us kind of sitting on the clouds, strumming our harps, talking about like, man, isn't, look at that cumulus nebulous cloud. Like, that is an incredibly good looking cloud. Like, could you, oh, no, no, look at that type of cloud. You know, that's not what heaven is. Heaven is, not, if you think it's good now, heaven, bro, it's going to be for real. Like, there's going to be colors and experiences that we could never imagine, right? If you ever think about it, it, it spring is this great time it, where the flowers, Lord willing, please Jesus, flowers will come out of the ground. <laughs> and when you see those flowers, I want you to think of this. This is, only, this is only a tenth of how beautiful this could possibly be, right? It's, it's only going to get better, right? That, it's only going to get more beautiful. It's only going to be more vivid. It's only going to be more ama- amazing, right? If it, this is why, this is, total, this is a free side note. Christians should love the arts. Christians should love creative work. Christians should love good music and art and dance and all that stuff because it's, it's only a foretaste of what's going to get better. So just to throw out there for our artist friends, I'm with you, because Jesus is. But here's why this is important for weak people, because that's not the way it feels, right? I'm talking about all this, and you guys are like, yeah, that sounds great, but that's just not the way it feels, right? Our bodies get old, things keep going on. It's just, it feels like it's bad, 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 and then we die. Right, that, that's the way it feels sometimes. I don't know if you guys are fans of Death Cab for Cutie. They have this song, I'll Follow You Into the Dark, and the main point of that song is it's a, it's a beautiful love song, but it's kind of like really sad because basically it says, uh, there's nothing after we die, and I'm going to be there with you. I'm like, it's really sad. Like, I mean, it's a beautiful song. Like, I'll play it on my guitar for my boys, but it's still really sad. Like, that's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Like, Jesus... That's why this is so important, that, the, that, that Jesus actually rose, sorry, actually rose from the dead, like literally rose from the dead. Dead lungs breathed in life. And he did it so that people like us, wait, did you notice here verse 42? So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. The people that Jesus gives his life to, his resurrection power to, are people who feel perishable, who feel dishonored, forgotten, unimportant, people who feel weak. That's the people that he gives his power to. right? People like us, who can't seem to get our lives and acts together. He's making all, do you feel, do you feel the brokenness of life? Do you feel like, I just can't seem, I've been a Christian for 15 years or whatever, I don't know. I still struggle to get my devotion, like just get up and read my Bible in the morning. I, I can't seem to get my act together. I can't seem to get my anger in check in the way I wanted to get in check. I can't seem to get 
my my affairs all kind of lined up. Like I keep struggling. The the depressing thing about having a journal is that I can look back ten years and see <laughs> I'm still struggling with the same things. I don't know. I'm sure that you guys don't have that experience, but I, at least for me, I go back and read my journal. I'm like, bro, like it's been ten years and we're still struggling with that. <laughs> These are the people that Jesus gives life to because if you, you notice what's happening here, those things are not the defining realities of our lives. Right? Those struggles, yes, they're going to continue. We're going to continue to have struggles. We're going to continue to have weakness. We're going to st- still have the same problems, Lord willing, incremental growth over time. But those aren't the final reality. Right? That's not what Jesus says. What you're going to put in the ground is going to have a unique, different, amazing glory when Jesus raises it from the dead. So that means that your weaknesses, those things, they actually are writing a story that means that you will be raised from the and Jesus, you will be raised from the dead and have a unique, different type of glory that, that you wouldn't have had if that story hadn't been a part of your life. So the weaknesses, the struggles, the, the trials, the frustrations that you experience, Jesus is saying, okay, I'm going to make those turn you into a more beautiful or handsome, amazing, glorious reality. Right? Jesus actually, when he was in the book of Matthew, he, at one point he says, you will shine brighter than the sun. Right? You realize that the people you're sitting next to, if you saw them resurrected in their glory, you would be tempted to fall down and worship. It'd just be so amazing. But the privilege that we have of being in the church together is we see each other with our weaknesses and struggles. But we get to see, oh, this is, this is laying up some story that Jesus is going to He's going to raise this person from the dead someday. And I'm going to have been a part of seeing that story unfold, this weakness that they experience now. I'm going to see it turn into this marvelous, beautiful symphony of glory in their lives. And we know that's not just kind of a cat dream. That's a historical reality because Jesus actually rose from the grave, right? This is not just some sort of fairy tale that we kind of hope gets us through the week. This actually gives us hope for our, I don't know, I think about this, I feel like I need the resurrection now more than ever. Because not only do I feel weak, like, I just get tired. That's what we're going to look at next. This tired reality of life. His resurrection, not only for our wreckage, his resurrection life, not only for our weaknesses, but then finally his resurrection life for our weariness. This is how Paul I don't know if you just, I just feel tired of life sometimes. I'm just kind of like, man, like, and I'm only 33. <laughs> I'm just like, it just does not seem. Just yeah, I know. It just does not seem to get better easily. Like, it is hard. I don't know if that's the way you feel, but I feel that way. The struggles, the un- unrelenting, the constant kind of news cycle of negative realities. So I want you to have this in mind as we're reading through these final verses here that Paul's not doing kind of like some rah-rah dance. He's actually, he's looking at our struggles, our weariness in life, and I want you to pick up on his tenderness and his tender hope that he's trying to offer offer us as we read through this. I tell you this, I tell you this, brothers, if you hear the affection, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But brothers and sisters, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but 
we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall, we shall all be changed. For this perishable body, perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. With, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us, thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here again his tenderness. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, what the, that in the Lord, your labor, it's not in vain. You see, he's holding out this view of like, Jesus has got this. It's going somewhere, and he's coming back. He's going somewhere with this story, right? You're not left alone. You're not left to the dying realities of life. It's not going to be just defined by, I'll follow you into the dark. That's not the end of the story, right? Because you see, when Jesus was alive, he looked at our weariness and saw, remember this, this reality that Stephen King pointed us to, right? We all fear death. That's, that, that's the part of this that, that gets so weary is that it's, it's like it's hard, 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 and then we're just going to die. I don't know if you've, you've sat next to somebody as they've, they've been passing away or if you've had family members who are dying. But Jesus saw this weariness of life. Like, it's just going to keep getting bad. He saw this. Actually, in John 11, there's a story where his friend Lazarus dies. And he comes to the grave. You know, it's interesting because Jesus is the resurrection life. He, can, he, he knows what he's going to do. He's going to raise his friend from the grave. But it says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So in verse 33, it says, he was deeply moved. It's actually, in the original Greek, that's one word to say that he was a storm of sadness, of the pain of life in his heart. There was a storm of sadness over the weariness of this world. He feels our weariness. He feels the struggles that we have. He feels how hard this life is. And that's why he went to the cross where he died, not just to give us good teachings, like here's how to make it through life. He actually died to change the fabric of reality. He died so that our sin, which wrecks us in ways that we can't understand and makes us tired and weak in ways that we can't understand and weary about the course and future of this world, all of that stuff, he says, I'm going to break it and I'm going to return it to what it was supposed to be and make it better. And so he dies. And you can imagine with me, Easter morning, stone cold, dead body in a grave with a stone sealed over the front of it and guards on the front as well. And just, just as the sun rises over the crest, suddenly this dead body breathes in a fresh breath of air his heart and his chest, by his own will, begins to beat. And the blood that died 
for us, the blood that was poured out to save us from our sins, that very blood that bought us peace with God is rushing through his veins again. And, and he opens his eyes by his own. This is a dead body, guys, that opens its eyes. And he stands up. And as he stands up, he lays all of our weakness, all of our sin, all of our trials, all the claim that they would have over us. They are laid dead in the grave. And he stands up and opens the grave. And he steps out into the fresh air of resurrection life. And he begins to roll back the curse of death and sin and weakness and sorrow over us. So we're not left alone. Right? He steps out in victory over death. He steps out victory over the course and curse of this world so that we can have life in him. So that he looks at us and he says, I, I give you life and free grace and mercy. And we know that confidently that's the true reality of this world because he, he did it. And then... As he works that life in us, we will one day die. But that death has no sting or victory over us. Because what's true about his body and his reality will be true about us. Someday the dust of our graves will be reformed. And he will rise from the grave. As, as he rose from the grave, he'll look on you and he'll, he'll come again in his kingdom and he'll look at you. Your dead lungs will breathe in life again. And you will be transformed to be like him. There will be colors you've never imagined that you'll be able to see. There'll be realities of this world that you never thought that you'd be able to enjoy. You won't have that limp anymore. You won't have the scars and, and uh, the trials of this life. You'll, you'll be like fresh and new in a way that you've never imagined. You'll step out into this world and you'll sing and enjoy and, and walk with Jesus and his new creation because you see that the resurrection of Christ is not just merely saying, look, you're valuable. He's actually saying, I'm going to change. Verse 52, we shall be changed. He's holding out this hope for you. Will, it won't always be like this. Jesus will make you new. You will be restored. So that this, this great enemy, verse 26, the last enemy that should be destroyed is death. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. The last enemy that shall be destroyed. Not the final, dark, clinching realities that we all fear. Hope and life. Because of Jesus. Because he rose, he actually physically rose over death, conquered our sin, so that we can live in his resurrection life. Isn't that something that you want? I want this for my day, for my day today. I want this for my day tomorrow. All you, all you need is to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I don't, I'm a wreck, I'm weak, and I'm weary. But I want your life. I want you, Jesus. Would you give it to me? And he gives it to you free of charge because he looks at weak, weary, and tired people like us and says, you're the people I died and rose again for so that we can live in his resurrection life. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray.
that we would enjoy this resurrection life of Jesus, that death is swallowed up in his victory, that we have nothing to fear. All grace and all mercy and all life is given to us freely. Would you give us this hope? Would you give us this confidence? Would you give us this buoyancy of spirit this morning so that we experience this happiness in you? Because you've accomplished it, Jesus, and we get all the benefits. So it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.